Did y'all like that? That was, I like that one. Now, if you're going to clap, clap. I mean, don't, don't have way. Hey, um, I got a, I got a question and this is pretty, pretty easy. I'm just kind of curious what, what I'm dealing with tonight in the room. How many people here tonight, you actually, not conceptually, you actually know how to drive a straight drive, like a straight, okay, whoa, okay, that's, a, that's more than I expected. I'm very proud of y'all. Um, how many of y'all have ever driven a, a straight drive on the column? Yeah, a little bit older. Okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. I, uh, I remember my dad taught me how to drive a, a straight drive um, one day. He said, we're going to learn, and that's literally, I'm not making this up, that's the most cuss words I've heard in a day ever in my life. I didn't, he made up words that offended God. But anyway, it's another message another time. Um, I, I have learned over the years the power of a shift, like when you have to shift gears. What, like, for example, if you're going uphill in a straight drive and the car begins to slow down, what do you have to do? You have to shift down. Now, what's funny about that is when you push the clutch in and you shift down, uh, on the surface, you could look at that as, oh, you had to slow down. And while that's true, you did have to slow down, you actually gained power by slowing down. Now, there's a spiritual metaphor, and I'll just let that hang out there and just keep moving. Um, the, the day I discovered the power of a shift is I have a really good friend who's, who had a Camaro. Now, let me, let me pause and say this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and, and a Camaro is my dream car. Let me also say that the little Hot Wheels Camaro it's not funny anymore. I've gotten one 20 years in a row. And if you hand me one this year, I'm punching you in the throat. All right? So, so he's violent. Yeah, I am. So he, he had a Camaro, and it's my, he said, I'm, I want you to drive this. It had, if I'm not mistaken, I could get this wrong, it had 840 horsepower. Now, some of you know what that means, and others of you don't. Let's just say it, will, it, will, it went fast. So I was at the red light, and I was waiting on it to turn green, and I was in first gear. My buddy said, what are we about to do? I said, we're about to go faster than we've ever gone. He said, what about the cops? I said, they can't catch us. Um, and so the, it turned green, and I went first gear, and I, I hit the gas, and I had one of those things on it. I don't know what you call it, but it wouldn't let it, like, spin. So I went straight, and then I pushed the clutch in, and I pulled it down in the second, and I punched the gas, and I've never experienced anything like this in my life. I went... I went to 100 miles an hour in second gear. I would love to say it was on purpose, but it was an accident. I didn't, it was, I had so much adrenaline when I got back and gave my friend the keys. He said, you want to drive it again? I said, no, I, I, I almost threw up. That's how much adrenaline I had flowing through my body, all because of the power of a shift. Now, all of us in this room and, and anybody watching online, every one of us knows what it's like to go through a shift. For, for example, if you graduated high school and you went to college or you either went to work, that was a shift. If you got married, that was a shift. When you had a baby, that was a shift. When you got another job, that was a shift. We've all experienced those shifts, am I correct? But then some of our shifts haven't been so good. Like if you got a divorce, that was a shift. If you are estranged from one of your children, that's a shift. If you lost a job, that's a shift. If you lost a family member or a friend, that's a shift. All, all through life, shift happens. And, and we don't get to choose a lot of those shifts, but we do get to choose our reaction during the shifts. Now, I said all that to set up the, the fact that over the past three years, I've seen the biggest shift that I've ever seen in our country. Now, I've only been alive for 51 years, but I've never seen our nation shift like it did during COVID. I remember 9-11, and some of you remember 9-11, you know exactly where you were when 9-11 happened, and I thought that was a shift, and we're kind of still dealing with the shifts of that, because if you travel today and you go through TSA, they make you take off your Exactly, and that's stupid because they had one idiot that tried to light his shoes on fire and it didn't work. Also, a couple days later, they had another guy that tried to light his underwear on fire and I'm glad we're not following that protocol, right? Hey, I'm here to fly, you know, and just, and <laughs> hello. So, so our nation went through a shift. In 2000, 
things began to change. I mean, 2020, things began to change, right? When I was growing up and up until 2020, if you walked into a bank with a mask on, you got shot. After 2020, if you walked into a bank without a mask, you at least got tased, right? It changed the way we grocery shopped. Did you remember? I, I don't know. I used to shop at Publix, and they had the little arrows. You could go up this aisle, and you could go down this aisle. And just to let you know, I rebelled every time. I said, you will not tell me how I'm going to walk. I walked the opposite direction of the arrow. I am free. Dare you to say something to me in my mask. I always had it pulled down under my nose, too. Anyway, our country shifted, and one of the things that I, I saw happen is I think we took some very unhealthy shifts spiritually because the churches shut down and we were encouraged to shut down while the bars and the strip clubs stayed open. During 2020, we saw an increase in domestic violence. We saw an increase in alcohol abuse. We saw an increase in drug abuse. We saw an increase in attempted suicides and suicides. We saw an increase in overdose. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and put out there that, that I think the effects of COVID were actually worse than COVID itself because we're still, we're still dealing with that. And one of the things that happened to us during COVID is we shifted spiritually into a mindset that we're going to have a lot of fun with in this message, but hopefully we'll, when we circle back around at the end, everybody will we'll, we'll get to the same place. I think it shifted our mindset to a very unhealthy place. And tonight and next week, we're going to go through the book of Esther. And, and I'm going to talk about how we can get out of that mindset back into a mindset that God, a very healthy spiritual mindset. So tonight, we're going to go over two steps. And next week, we're going to go over the other two steps. Now, some of you are like, you're only doing it, so we'll come back next week. Can't get nothing by you. You're right. As you're, and, and, and just so you know, we're not broadcasting next week online. I'm just kidding. So I just wanted to freak the people out. So, so here we are. We're going to dive into this story, and, and shift happens. There, there are basically four steps that I believe all of us, and I didn't say all of you, I said all of us, all of us have to take if we're going to get back to a, to a healthy place because, and I said this this morning, and I want to say it again, and I'm very careful when I use words like this. I think about it. I pray about it. I don't throw these words out recklessly, but I think there's another shift getting ready to happen in our country, Amen. and I don't think it's a bad shift. I think it's a good shift, and I don't think it has anything to do with politics. I think it has everything to do with the power of God and the Spirit of God. I don't think it has anything to do with the White House. I think it has everything to do with the church house. I think there's another great awakening that's going to hit our nation before Christ comes back. I believe that with all my heart. In order for that to happen, a shift has to take place. And my question is, why not here and why not now? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be crazy if God decided to start a nationwide revival with a handful of misfits in Anderson, South Carolina? Woo! All right. My charismatic side is going to come out. Here we go. Number one, you got to refuse to settle for your shadow mission. Now, I wish I could take credit for this term, but I first heard this term in 2007, and it's, it's stuck with me since then, shadow mission. How many have ever heard in this room, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Okay, most people, good, good, good. I'm going to tell you the thing you didn't hear, though, that's equally as true. Satan hates you and has a plan to destroy your life. Jesus was very clear about that in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's what we don't understand about how the enemy works. Most people think, well, that, that, that I, know, I know how the devil works. He wants me to walk out of this place and become a crack-smoking axe murderer. Okay. Just going to go ahead and say that I don't think there's any crack-smoking axe murderers in the house tonight? If you are, this <laughs> you would show up at Second Chance, right? But, but I'm glad you're here. Um, but, but that's not what the enemy wants for all, any, of, any of us. All he wants to do is get us one degree off of where God wants us to be. 
This is God's mission. This is the enemy's mission. It's just a little off. But over time, one degree off, over time eventually will take us to a place that we're separated so far from what God wants for our lives that we begin to doubt his love or whether or not we can get back. It's, 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 it's like the illustration, let's say after church tonight, I said, hey, let's go play some golf. Um, and you went, really? And I said, yeah. And what you didn't know is I've been practicing. We get, we get out of the golf course and I say, let's, um, let's bet 10 cents a hole. 10 cents a hole. And what we'll do is every hole will just double the bet. So 10 cents this hole, 20 cents the next hole, 40 cents the next hole, 80 cents the next let, let, Let's just do that. And you went, all right, well, you're not the golfer, so I think I could take you. And we played, and I won every hole. At the end of that golf match, you would owe me over $3,000. Now, some of y'all are looking at me crazy, but there's two people in this room. You're an engineer. You just did the math in your head, and you know I'm right. <laughs> you know I'm right. I know I'm right because I Googled it seven times, all right? I, I, it, but that's what the enemy does. He's like, hey, it's just 10 cents. Okay, let's double down on that. Okay, let's double down on that. Okay, let's double. And pretty soon, we owe. So we, we are in so deep. So let, let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Some of y'all are like, are you ever going to get the scriptures? Yes. Here we go. Esther, chapter 1, verses 1 through um, 4. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes. Um, anybody see the movie 300? 300? This is that Xerxes. I don't think he looked like that, but that's that, that guy. He, he's a real historical figure who reigned over 127. Now, that number is going to be very important, so I'm going to ask you to repeat it with me on three. One, two, three. Beautiful. Um, province stretching, stretching from India to Ethiopia. At the time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all of his nobles and officials. So all the nobles and officials from 127 provinces came to where he was, okay? He invited all the military officers of Persia and Medea, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. All 127 came to where he was. And this, y'all, I can't believe Esther made the ch some children's Bibles because this is where it gets crazy. The celebration lasted 180 days. A tremendous display of opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. Jeff, I just got a question. Have you ever been to a party that got a little out of hand? Anybody in the room want to admit that? Did you, did you throw the party that got a little bit out of hand, right? Like you, you, you were like going to have a few friends over and you wake up the next morning and somebody's car's in the swimming pool, the neighbor's tree got cut down and somebody shaved the cat. Like it, it, like it just got crazy. Now I know this is a second chance and I know people probably got some stories, but 180 days of partying? That would be like me and Shannon meeting y'all in the lobby tonight going, y'all come over to the house. We're going to throw a party. It's kind of late, Pastor P. When's it over? April. <laughs> Heck yeah, I'm in, right? Can you imagine that, that in 180 days of partying, things got a little crunk? Yeah. But this is where we see the first indication of somebody settling for a shadow mission because Xerxes was a leader. As the leader of the empire, his job, his duty, his requirement was to lead the people, to do what is best for the people, to do what is good for the people, to take care of the people that he's leading. And what does he do? He brings all the leaders and all the military officers from all his provinces in to a party about him and for him. Question, what happens to these provinces if they have a leadership issue or if they get attacked by a foreign enemy? It doesn't matter. Because Xerxes had a shadow mission. And this was his shadow mission. To be liked and admired. That's all he wanted. So whatever it took to fulfill his shadow mission, that that's what he was willing to do, even if it meant putting his entire empire at risk. 
he was still going to be liked and admired. What's your shadow mission? I remember the first time I ever heard any type of talk about this, I knew what mine was automatically. Now, I've been to leadership seminars, and I've done vision statements and mission statements and written out things, put stuff on the wall, but, but shadow me, I know my shadow mission. This is, and I'll tell it to you. I'll just get vulnerable. Sometimes I hate this because it always gets used against me, but I'll just kind of let you know, and we can just figure it out later. My shadow mission is it's all about me. If I don't intentionally keep my eyes on Jesus every single day, I will make every single thing about me. I know me. That's what I would do. Xerxes was all about his shadow mission. So, so the six-month party went well. So he was like, let's keep it going, and let's make it bigger. So, so when it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people. We didn't invite everybody coming in, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days. Now, pause. That, I have still never partied for seven days. I partied hard in my life. I've never gone for, I've never gone for seven hours, okay? So seven days is intense, where are we at? Seven days, and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. Watch this. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. Now, I love it when people always tell me the, the wine in the Bible wasn't really wine. It was grape juice. You hold on to that fantasy for just a second, and let's keep reading. Verse 8. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking. Open bar. Who's going to cut me? Nobody's cutting you off. Oh, okay. Okay. I like this king. Do you like the king? I like the king. For the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. Because he was on a shadow mission. He, all his nobles and officials thought, we like you. We admire you but that wasn't enough. He said, I, I, I need more people to say that. So he literally got the entire town hammered. I mean, they're all speaking cursive with lampshades on their heads, singing country music, okay? I mean, it is bad. So, so this, is, this is what happens when you're on a shadow mission. Now, there's another banquet going on. There's another party going on, and this one's given by... Queen Vashti. Now, Queen Vashti, she, it's a little bit more calm at this one. I mean, that maybe they got a couple mimosas, and maybe they're having a little brunch, and maybe they're talking about hair. and may, I don't know what. It's not as crazy as this party. But because Xerxes has a shadow mission to be liked and admired, this is where the story gets very weird. On the seventh day of the feast, when, the king, when King Xerxes was in high spirits, pause, you know whatever follows that is not going to be good. By the way, how do you have high spirits if you're drinking Welch's grape juice? You can't drink enough Welch's to get in high spirits. Am I right? I know. How many of you know you make bad decisions when you get into high spirits? Like you walk in the kitchen, you're like, baby, why is there a donkey in the kitchen? You bought it last night. Okay, that's awesome. I bought a donkey. It's in the kitchen. High spirits. We don't make great decisions. So he's in high spirits and, um, because of the wine. So we told the seven eunuchs who attended him. Eunuchs, if you don't know what a eunuch is, Cole would love to explain it to you in the lobby after the message. Cole, raise your hand. Cole, also explain how one of the eunuchs was named Bigtha. I think that's pretty funny, too. That's just a, that's, that, that's kind of good. See, Cole, he would love to theologically discuss that with you. To bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. Pause. That's all, she, that's all he wanted her to wear. The crown. That's it. How can that be? It's very simple. When you're on a shadow mission, you don't care who you hurt. You don't love people. You use people. And that's what he's doing. 
He doesn't care how much embarrassment or hurt or pain he causes Vashti as long as people can see her in her crown and say, you're a man, we like you, we admire you, you're a lucky man. See, our shadow mission, if we're not careful, it'll take us to places that we said we would never go. And it, it gets kind of crazy because um, he wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman, which brought him attention. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. And why did he burn with anger? It's very simple. When people do not give in to your shadow mission, the result is always anger and rage. So when you get mad at somebody, always step back and ask, am I mad for godly reasons, or am I mad because they're threatening my shadow mission? So he was, he was like, he didn't know what to do, so he went to what would be equivalent of today, the Supreme Court. What do I do with my wife? And they said, you need to banish her for life, because if you do, that'll cause all the women in the empire to respect their husband. This is what happens when a group of men get together and make decisions on their own, right? And so that's what he did. He banished his queen, which I'm not sure she was too upset about. He, he banished her. She could no longer be around, and they passed a law that women must respect their husbands. And we know if you just make a law, people follow it, right? But then in chapter 2, this is what Scripture says. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he calmed down. Have you ever made a decision, and you calm down, you're like, dang it, I sold the donkey. Like how I brought that back around. Anyway, his anger subsided. He began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree that he had made. And he was like, and he, he, he got bothered. And here's why he got bothered. He's the most powerful man in the world. He needs, he needs some arm candy to walk around and make him look good. So we go to another group of guys that kind of served with him. And they, they recommended bring in a woman from every province. Now, how many provinces were there? 127, so king, pick the hottest woman in every province. Bring them in, and we're going to put them through some beauty treatments. Now, ladies, I got a question for you. How many of you, honestly, have ever spent 15 minutes getting ready for a date? 15 minutes, raise your hand. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. How many of you have spent an hour or more getting ready for a date? Be honest, be honest, you're in the house of God. How many of you spent longer getting ready for the date than you actually spent on the date? <laughs> How many of you have more fun getting ready for the date than you had on the date? Okay, whoa, okay, that's the most hands I've seen all day. Um, you, getting ready for a date can be stressful. These women had to go through a year's worth of beauty treatments. A year. I remember reading that thinking that's a little, I mean, they didn't have what we got today. Like we got plastic surgery and all kinds of stuff. Back then, I mean, dear God, you either got it or you don't, right? I mean, but a year's worth of beauty treatments? But then, and this is the part, if you've ever heard the book of Esther, you may have never heard this, and I'm, gonna, I'm about to mess up some people's theology, and I'm okay with it. After a year's worth of beauty treatments, you got to go spend one night with the king. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what happened that night. I've read commentators that have tried to clean this story up, but at best, this group of women were sex slaves that the king was going to choose his bride from. And one of them was named Esther. We meet Esther and talk about somebody whose life has shifted. She, she had gone through a lot of shifts, and none of them were good. Her, her nation had been conquered. She had been relocated to another part of the world. Her mother and her father had died. She was basically an orphan until her cousin Mordecai stepped in and raised her. 
all of a sudden she gets chosen for this beauty contest, which ultimately winds up being a one-night stand with the king, and whoever has the best one-night stand with the king, that's the one he's going to keep as his queen. Not, not, the, not a great option. But she had no choice, because some women are here going, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't have done it. I would have went and hired a lawyer. They didn't have those back then. Women were viewed as pretty much property during these times. In fact, just so you know, women had pretty much no value until this man named Jesus came along and gave them value. Different message, different time. So, so we're told that Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. And then watch this. To celebrate this occasion, he gave a great banquet because this guy is not missing an opportunity to have a party. He gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. What did he do? He made it all about him because he wanted to be liked and admired. Even a celebration to celebrate his new queen, she was just kind of there. And yeah, by the way, do you like me? Do you, let me give you some stuff. See what the shadow mission will do? So Esther's in the palace, and I'm going to show you in just a little while that Esther was almost tempted to settle for her shadow mission as well. All of us face this temptation. One more character before we move to the next point. His name is Haman. And uh, nobody names their kids Haman because Haman is like one of the most wicked people in the Bible. Haman is King Xerxes' right-hand man. He's kind of like his vice president. And back during this time period, if you were an important government official, when you walked out into public, people bowed down to you. That's just what they did. We don't do that today. It'd be weird if you walked into the office tomorrow and your boss expected you to bow. You'd be like, this is a little weird. I'm not sure I need to work here anymore, right? But back in this culture, it was very common you bowed, but there was this one guy that would not bow, and his name was Mordecai. And Mordecai didn't hate Haman. Mordecai had nothing personal against Haman. It's just that Mordecai was a follower of God. And the Jewish people had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it's very clear in those first five books of the Bible and for the rest of the scriptures, but all they had was those five books, it's very clear that you don't bow to any person, place, or thing other than the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah, Yahweh God. And so Mordecai wasn't trying to be mean or defiant. He just wasn't going to worship anyone or anything except for God. But that made Haman mad because Haman had a shadow mission, and his shadow mission was more. I want more. And so he walks by Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't bow. And one day, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage because, once again, that's what we do when people don't submit to our shadow mission. I want you to watch something. I want you to watch how dark our shadow mission can become if we let it hijack our minds. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality. Mordecai was Jewish. So he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. He wanted to kill all the Jewish people. This is a big deal when you're trying to exterminate an entire race of people. Because by the way, if he pulls this off, we don't get Jesus. Because newsflash, Jesus was not white, he was Jewish, despite the picture you have in your home of Jesus with feathered hair, okay? This is a big deal. So he goes to the king and he says, hey, I want to, there's a group of people and they're kind of annoying and I want to get rid of them. And the king doesn't even read the, the edict. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Haman's like, I'm going to give you a bunch of money for it. And the king was like, yeah, whatever. And they sat down and they feasted and a royal edict was decreed across all 127 provinces that on a certain day, at a certain time, all the Jews were to be killed. And if you're Jewish, this had to be one of the worst days of your life. And Xerxes and Haman, the two men dedicated to their shadow mission, 
and sat and enjoyed a feast. Which leads to point number two. Ask for the help of Jesus and others. Now that sounds simple. But if, if we're going to become who Jesus wants us to become, we need his help and the help of others as well. Uh, several years ago, um, I was having back problems right here, right here in my back. I was talking to my doctor about it, and I said, I'm having problems with my back, and, and I, had some, I got some issues. And uh, he, <laughs> he said, uh, what kind of bed you got? I said, I don't know. I just, he said, where'd you get it? I was like, I jockey lot? I don't know. I guess just, let me tell you all something funny about that. The owners of the jockey lot were at the 11 o'clock service today. <laughs> they came up to me and said, we own the jockey lot. I was like, you got some ducks and little Debbies? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I wanted to. I wanted to. They were super nice people. They're great people. I know that's going to get back to them, dear God. <laughs> they were here, though. They were super, super nice people. They're great people. Hope they come back now. Um, but he said, he said, he said, you need a, he said, you need a, a good bed. He said, cause you spend like a third of your life in bed. And I'm like, probably a half. But he, I said, okay. So I went out and bought the most, y'all, my bed. Now our bed is the most comfortable bed in the world. It's one of those Tempur-Pedic with the cooling gel in it. And I also got the one with the frame cause I'm getting older. In about 10 years, I'm going to want to sit up and read at night. So I got one of the ones that sits up and that pushes your feet up and it's just awesome. <laughs> love my, love it, love it, love it. And then I, somebody said, you got to get some of those bamboo sheets. You know what I'm talking about? The bamboo sheets, they suit like high thread counts, they're like super soft. It's like you're sleeping in heaven. I was like, man, I got to get me some of them bamboo sheets. So I got some of them bamboo sheets. And somebody said, you need to get a weighted blanket. So I got a weighted. Some of you are like, wait a minute, aren't weighted blankets for crazy people? Yeah, that's why I got one. And it, it feels awesome because you got to get in a big old hug every night. And, and then on top of the weighted blanket, we got like a, a down comforter. And then right next to my bed, I got a big box fan and it's blow. And then we turn, when I say we, I turn the temperature down to 66 degrees at night. Y'all pray for Shannon. We got to thaw her out every morning. Um, and, and I get in that bed and it is so comfortable and it's so amazing. And every morning when I wake up and I don't don't wake up by an alarm clock. I can just tell myself what time I want to get up, and, it, and I get up. It's weird, I know. But every morning, I'll wake up, and in the morning, I'll wake up at 5 o'clock, and I'll do this. I'll go, God, five more minutes. Five more minutes, God. If I can just lay here five more minutes, it, God, it'll be 7 o'clock. I'm still sitting there going, five more minutes, God. Five, some of you know the pain. You know the struggle. Five more minutes, five more minutes. And it's because I'm comfortable. And when you're comfortable, you don't want to move, Right? That's what happened in COVID. We got comfortable with binging an entire season of something and neglecting the people in our own home. Oh, God, it just got tense. We'll come back to that later. That's why we got to ask for the help of Jesus and others because if, if we're going to get past our shadow mission, we're going to have to get uncomfortable. See, the enemy doesn't necessarily want to make you bad. He just wants to make you comfortable. So we won't pursue the goodness of God. So, so Mordecai finds out about this thing that all the Jews are supposed to be killed. And he's like, I got this, y'all. I got some connections in the palace. So he shoots Esther a text message. I'm trying to modernize it. They didn't have actual text messages back then. But he sent Esther a message and said, listen, you're going to need to go to king and um, tell him, tell him this is a problem, that he can't be killing everybody, and he needs to calm down, and we need to change this law. And Mordecai thinks, problem solved. But see, Esther, Esther's been through some tough times, and she's finally got it good. She's got a palace. She has a wardrobe. She has servants. So she tells Mordecai, listen, um, that's not going to work. And here's why. You can't just, number one, you can't just walk into the king's chambers. He's got to summon you. And if you do walk into the king's chambers without being summoned and he does not extend the golden scepter, you're killed. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? If you showed up to work tomorrow, I mean, you're getting ready to walk in your boss's office, somebody goes, I don't want to do that. Why? Well, there's a rule now. You can't go in there unless he summons you. And if you do go in without being summoned and he does not extend the golden stapler, trying to modernize it, you're, you're killed. You're shot on the spot. 
I'm not going in the boss's office. So she's saying, listen, um, that's the problem. And the other thing you need to know is he has not summoned me for 30 days. Now, some people are like, 30 days without his wife? What is the deal? Well, see, he had a whole harem of women. He wasn't faithful to his wife. So Esther knew, I'm comfortable. I like it in the palace. For the past 30 days, he's been leaving me alone. It's been great. But if I do what you're asking me to, well, I got to get uncomfortable. And it's going to cost me an awful lot. And Mordecai didn't say, okay, I understand. You're struggling. See, Mordecai, everybody needs a Mordecai in their life, somebody that won't make excuses for us. Watch what Mordecai says. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. Esther, even though you're pursuing your shadow mission, you're going to die. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Then he says this phrase, still messes me up every time I read it. And who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Esther, what if every shift that has happened in your life has been a setup for you to do something, for you to be used by God in a way that would absolutely blow your mind. Esther, all the hurt, all the pain, all the sorrow, all of it, God can take it and use it. Maybe that's the reason, Esther, you got to consider that's the reason you're the queen. It's not an accident. And I would say the same thing to somebody in this room tonight, somebody watching on TV, all the hurt, all the pain, all the confusion, all the times that you had no idea what was going on. Maybe God took you through all of that for such a time as this to prepare you to step into his will and see things that would absolutely blow your mind. He really can take ashes and turn them into something beautiful. That's who he is. That's what he does. He is a God who changes things. And maybe you've gone through what you've gone through for such a time as this. So I love, I love her reply. I love her reply. She said, uh, she said to Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. Now, right here, this is what she's doing. She's asking for the help of God and others. Esther's the only book in the entire Bible that doesn't mention the name of God anywhere in the Bible. But I'm going to show you next week, I got a list. I'm going to show you how many times we see him working and moving, even though his name isn't mentioned. I've had people tell me that you might be here. I've never seen God work. Well, why are you in this room tonight? Did that happen by accident? Uh Anyway, she said, I need the help of, of, of God. What would happen if this week every person in this room had the courage to do what Clay showed us how to do and sit in a chair and look at a chair and just say, Jesus, what's your mission for my life? Here are my hands. Show me your plans. I surrender. I don't want to settle for the comfort of a shadow mission. I want to do what you created me and designed me to do. That has the power to change everything. And that's what Esther's doing here. She's like, I need the help of God. And notice this, she needed the help of others too. She said, get all, get all the Jewish people fasting for me. In other words, I, I can't do it by myself. I need God and I need the people of God. And it hasn't changed in thousands of years. If we're going to become who God's called us to be, we need God and we need the people of God. We've got to be plugged in and bought in to a local thriving church, period. 
Now, some of you are like, well, you're preaching to the choir, man. We're here. Let's talk about that for a second, because let me tell you what COVID did to church attendance. COVID took church attendance backwards. Most churches in America have not gotten back to their pre-COVID attendance numbers. I meet people every week that I met somebody today that this was their first Sunday back to church since the pandemic hit. There's some people, and I'm, I say this, and I try to say it as often as possible, sitting in Anderson, South Carolina right now, and you're watching online, but you're not a part of this church. You're like, no, I am part of the church. No, you're receiving ministry. You're not experiencing church because you gotta be in the room, and you're in Anderson. You have no excuse other than I'm watching it on my phone, but you're not watching it on your phone because right now you're screaming at your kids. I'm not mad. I'm just telling you, unconnected from a local church, we will never become who Jesus called us to become. And, and, and church attendance, I'm praying and hoping. Like we, at Second Chance, we've gotten beyond where we were pre-pandemic. I mean, God is blessing us. We are seeing great things happen. But this is where people go, well, Perry, you don't know. It's, it's kind of tense to go to church, and some people have to fight through it. Really? Somebody asked me um, several years ago, they said, didn't you pastor the largest church in South Carolina at one time? I said, nope. I said, you absolutely did. I said, no, wasn't even close. They said, what's the largest church? And they started throwing out church names. What about this church? What about this church? What about this church? I said, no, no, no. They said, well, what's the largest church in South Carolina? And I just, <laughs> have y'all seen this church? Nobody complains about the temperature. People show up early and stay late. You should see how much they pay for their parking spots. It doesn't matter. Listen, as long as you wear orange in this church, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, black or white. It doesn't matter who you voted for in the last election. You're welcome in that place as long as you're wearing orange. My God, what if the church could unify around Jesus the way Clemson unifies around the color. Let me, let me stop. Some of y'all are like, he's I'm not against going to football games. I love going to football games. I've been to two national championships. They won, they won the first one and lost the second one. I ain't going back because I don't want to curse them. But this, this church is, people show up early. They stay late. They pack the place out. I talked to a couple one time. I said, I didn't see y'all at church. Said, yeah, it was raining raining. Yeah, they didn't want their baby to get wet from the parking lot to the kids area, but if it rains in this church, they still take their babies. It's crazy. They have a call to worship. Run down the hill. And do you know they play the same song every freaking time they get there? <laughs> and nobody gets mad. Nobody's like, oh gosh, this song. Nobody does that. Everybody, clap. I love it. Tiger Rag. It's amazing. These teenagers are running down a hill, and I don't know any of them, but they're awesome. They've got a senior pastor. He's a good dude. I like him. I like him. I remember when he, because when he took over the church, church wasn't that good. Y'all remember that? We used to have to go bail our team out of jail to play the, play, the, play the games. But he took over the church and it's doing good now. I love it when people go, I could coach that and you couldn't coach that. No, you can't even play PlayStation. That's why <laughs> he's, a, he's a good man. But I know, I know people, I, I, know, I know people that, that, anyway, he's doing a good job. He loves Jesus. He's a good dude. That, that church over there, they spend money. Y'all yeah. seen the new scoreboard? Seven million dollars. Seven million dollars. Now, once again, I ain't got a problem with Clemson dropping seven million on a jumbotron. Praise God. I think it's wonderful. It's just that that scoreboard costs more than our whole building with everything. 
But you know why they were able to do that? They didn't have to have a deacon's meeting. Clemson's willing to drop $7 million on the scoreboard, and you got churches all over America arguing about light bulbs. They take an offering. You know what's funny is nobody goes to Death Valley to a football game and goes, these people are after, they're just after my money. You mention money in a church and people freak out. But you go to Death Valley and you walk up the concession stand and tell me they're not after your money because you bought a bottle of water and a hot dog and you had to finance it for payments of $32.99. And if you don't get it paid off, they're going to come repossess the hot dog, right? It's, 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 it's insane over there. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, baby, baby. Razor blade and scrape that IPTA stick. I'm not. Ta- don't 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 take your IPTA stickers off your car, because we. I I like knowing that that you support Clemson and that your children are perfect, because you got those stickers right next to your IPTA stickers, right? All I'm saying is is what if the church could get as serious about church as Clemson is about? Oh oh, I almost forgot this. People worship. Like you're standing in the seat or you're sitting in your seat. If you're a real fan, you stand, you don't sit down. And, and somebody that you don't know scores a touchdown. And what does everybody in the stadium do? The same people that will say, I don't like it when that worship leader tells me to raise my hands. I don't like raising my hands in church. But the day before, a man you don't know crossed a chalk line carrying a football and you raised your hands. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying your worship's misplaced. Y'all feel that tension? I'm good with it. I'm good with it. What if the church, what if the church got a serious about Jesus as Clemson is about football. That could change the world. Oh, and by the way, and just by the way, those of you that say you're scared to go to church, you've probably been to a few football games, you've been to some restaurants, you've been to some gatherings, it's time to get back. Because if not, you're going to stay settled in that shadow mission. I love what Esther said, and this is where we'll end tonight. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That's so strong. The reason it's strong, and I know I say this often, but I need to make this point. Esther hadn't read the book of Esther. She don't know what happens after this. This is what she knows. I'm going to walk in that room right there. And I'm probably going to lose my life. But I would rather lose my life on mission for God than settle for a shadow mission and see so many people suffer needlessly. I refuse to use people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do the right thing. And that's one of the reasons we got a book in the Bible named after this lady who went through so many negative shifts in her life. She had every reason to get up, give up. She had every reason to throw in the towel. And she was like, I don't know who holds the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what today holds, but I know who holds today. And he is greater than anything or anyone that comes against me, that comes against us, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So Father, right now, I just want to thank you for the courage and the bravery that we see in this story. God, I ask you that you would fill us with that same courage. Jesus, I want to thank you tonight that by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit that we don't have to settle for a shadow mission. 
that tonight we can step out of the shadows and into a walk with you. So right now with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, maybe you've been tempted to settle. You've, you've settled for a shadow mission. Tonight you just need to tell Jesus, I'm tired of living for my comfort. I want to live for you. I'm tired of living for me. Jesus, show me what you want for my life. Just pray that to him right now. Just pray that to him right now. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ. And you've never given your life to Christ because you're like, if I ask Jesus into my life, he's going to mess it up, not realizing that we can mess it up without him. We've done a, we've done a wonderful job. Jesus wants to save you tonight. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. And so if you're here tonight and you want to pray to receive Christ, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me, and I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud. But you're not going to pray it by yourself because our church family is going to pray it out loud with you. And we're doing this on, for, for your benefit. So you can pray out loud and know that you're not alone. We want you to know, stepping into a relationship with Christ, you're not alone. So if you want to pray and receive Christ, you pray this prayer. And church family, let's pray it with them. Let's say, Jesus Christ. I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I give my life to you. Come in and take over. I surrender all. In Jesus' name I pray. With head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Christ to come into your life, I want you to do me a favor right now and put your hand up in the air straight up and leave it up, leave it up, leave it up, leave it up, leave it up all over the room, leave it up, leave it up, leave it up. Father, I want to thank you so much that you have changed lives all day today. You have saved people all day today. You've taken the old and made it new. You've taken death and brought it to life. I want to thank you today, God, that you shook some of us. You shook us, God, out of our shadow mission. God, you shook us because we don't want to settle for what the world has because what you have is so better. May, may we walk out of this place, Jesus, knowing that your plans for us are greater and higher than anything we could ever imagine. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And everybody that agreed said amen and amen. Are you glad you came to church tonight? I am too. Y'all have a great week and we'll see you back here next week for part two.